0: It's the gong. We might have that wonderful thing happen. Like a miracle.
1: But when a man feels like creating, he'll
0: just create.
1: All right. This is my uh official morning duty day. D-U-T-Y. That's cool. Or I gotta go to the drop-off zone and Await all the children that are dropped off by their families and cars. I actually enjoy it. It's something about being outside at uh, this time of the early morning. The sun rising and little kids coming out of their cars and saying, I love you, mommy. Bye. Things like that. Just cute. On a Sunday
0: morning sidewalk.
1: Uh, I'm doing things and I'm doing stuff and here's a couple of fat people uh, standing next to a pole a lot of fucking homeless people around here I mean this the neighborhood this school's in is a fucking shithole it's just pit bulls behind fences dilapidated houses and Homeless people with vacant stares on their face just all around the perimeter of the school. And uh, that's the fucking world that we are living in. Cause on a Sunday morning sidewalk, uh, we're doing things and doing stuff. Oh shit. Uh, On a Sunday morning sidewalk was where I took a fucking dump booty booty boop boop boo, on a Sunday morning sidewalk alright I'm here go fuck yourself um, one of the things I've been uh, really surprised about is how technology addiction or the ubiquity of constant tech use seems to cut across Class lines, and I saw you know my nephews growing up, and they have an, a big house, and their parents have plenty of money. Didn't surprise me the degree to which they were just constantly locked into technology, and I always wondered um, the effect that would have on their uh, individual psychologies and uh, their development and whatnot. And I thought, well, rural kids, kids growing up on a farm or whatever are not going to be doing that shit. They're going to still be running around playing at the creek side and and that sort of thing. And that that might be true. I don't interact with uh, a ton of people, country folk. But the kids at my school, I mean, we're talking about low social... Or socioeconomic status. Some of these um, kids live in homeless shelters and uh, hotels and really poor conditions, but still the, it's amazing the vast majority of them have iPads or phones. Maybe the phones, you know, aren't hooked up to uh, cellular service, but they're somehow they have them and they're constantly on them or want to be on them at all times and uh, so it's just interesting to me that that seems to cut across class lines and uh, we have some seriously tech-addicted kids at our school it's just uh, frightening I mean we literally have kids that will refuse to get off the technology when uh, they're allowed to be on school technology and, you know, to have any sort of free time or play a game or something. They, they don't want to get off. We've had kids steal um, iPads. We've had kids, you know, run out of class and go into a, a vacant classroom and get on their technology. Uh, it's just... It's pretty... It's pretty strange. And, and the age is, I find mind-boggling. We're talking kinder first grade, they're, you know they're already on these devices and, and their worlds are fixated on them. And, and you can tell that parents are using these things as pacifiers because they're really the perfect pacifier. I mean you just give the kid the phone or the iPad, and then that kid and their little sister or little brother will just not trouble you for hours on end because they'll be mesmerized by this thing. And uh, you don't really have to do much parenting then in that moment. And I can understand, you know, again, from a, a class perspective, if you don't have a lot of resources and nobody's home to watch the kids, and, you know, it'd be even more tempting to do it. But again, I think this just cuts right across that i i see it all the time and well to do families that just their kids are constantly on these devices and they don't it's just a socially acceptable now to when you have your kids out in public or they're coming out to dinner with you or something like that just give the kids the phones and then you know the adults can have their adult talk time and the kids are just gone you know in this other reality And maybe that's okay. I mean, I don't know. I'm just... uh, I'm curious to see this generation that's grown up with these things, their whole childhood, and see what kind of adults they become. Part of me would assume that they're not going to have certain skills, um, that they're going to be missing out on some important things, but maybe they're gaining as well. Um, There's something to... Uh, learning the just the skills that are inherent in using the technology and playing the games and navigating search engines and uh, video apps or whatever that may end up preparing these kids better somehow for modern life but it, it doesn't feel that way and and again when you try to take a data approach to it it's it's tough because everybody's just cherry-picking different data and interpreting it to reinforce whatever narrative makes them feel better about themselves, so it's hard to know if uh, when people cite, you know, increased rates of depression and anxiety and tie it to the uh, the rise of social media and make that correlation, uh, it's really hard to know what, you know, what uh, what's really causing what. So, but Besides just scientific data, you just kind of have your own your own eyes and ears and intuitions. And my sense is that it's just a bad trend. Um, Tristan Harris for the Center for Humane Technology talks about the extractive attention economy where the business model of a lot of these uh, tech companies has become uh, all about extracting this precious resource of human attention and that there's like kind of an arms race to do so to keep people's eyes and minds on you know the various platforms or apps and the methods that they use to do this are getting more and more sophisticated and the algorithms that are being developed are designed to to extract more and more and more human attention. And surely this has to have an effect. And I, I just don't understand. How how could it be good? I mean, human attention is, is the shit, man. That's what you have in life. And if you're being conditioned to be some sort of uh, zombie that's staring at your phone all the time, I mean, we know we're all doing it, or a lot of us are doing it. And it doesn't feel good to get lost in these little rabbit holes and realize that you're, for the last three months, you and your spouse have been sitting in the in the living room just staring at your own separate devices and hardly interacting with each other. I think we're all susceptible. And not only does this cut across class lines, it cuts across generation. I, I used to think that uh, it was a kid thing, like you know, kids these days and they're phones. But then I'll go to staff meetings and other professional meetings with people that are older than me, people in their 60s. and They're doing the same thing. There'll be someone up there presenting and, and they're all on their phones texting and just fucking around or I don't know what the hell they're doing. And uh, it's just weird. I just don't think it's good. Um, and it just can't be good for a kid's development. I mean, you're going to be conditioned to be susceptible to these algorithms and these business models and this and this economic uh, engine that's trying to just strip you of the most valuable thing you have your your attention your ability to focus on things I mean that's how we learn and, and develop expertise and Uh, explore the world and that's where creativity comes from. And as the profits go up and up and up for these companies I, I I just can't see this being a net good for society. So I'm not really sure what to do about it. I mean I struggle with it myself and I'm I try to I mean I can't help in my work with kids to Not impose, I hope, but I mean, I'm infusing what I do with my own value system. I kind of have to. And I try to encourage them to be aware, just to be aware of their relationship to these devices and kind of question what's happening. Because I think if they do that, they'll figure it out themselves at some point. That, you know, is this making me happier? or you have some, some experience where you're not tethered to these things, like that vacation where you went to the beach or something with your family and it wasn't all about being on your devices, and you feel how marvelous the experience is to be free of that. I think even kids can figure that out. Fortunately, at the elementary level, we don't allow the kids to have their phones and stuff in school I worked in a high school for one year, and it was just a shit show. They clearly had just given up. I had heard that there was a policy before I had gotten there that kids were not allowed to have their phones out during class or in the hallways. They could just have them as a sort of an emergency thing in their backpack or pocket. But by the time I got there, they had just given up. And the bell would ring, and and these flocks of high school students would hit the hallways, and every single one of them would be staring at their phones. They'd have earbuds in. Um, You couldn't even get their attention. And I even did a a guest lecture at a class, and the teacher just went to the back of the room since, you know, she was basically taking a little break since I was running the show. And she was just on her phone the whole time, and 75% of the students were just under their desks texting or doing whatever the hell they're doing on their devices while I was giving the talk and since you know i was a guest there and if it was my own class i would have went off on these kids but it was just a head shaker i just couldn't believe what i was experiencing i was like what the hell is this and then when i went into my my own graduate program my, my classmates would do the same thing to the professors they would just sit there and I had a buddy of mine watching baseball games on his phone surreptitiously behind one of his books. And here we are. We're professional. We're trying to learn the professional skill of being a counselor. Paying money to take these classes. And uh, he's not paying a goddamn bit of attention. Dumb fuck. Anyway, I'm uh I'm at work. That's all I have to say. Bye-bye. Last week, I did a cover of a Gillian Welch song, Everything is Free, and I put it on the end of the podcast. Um, I also recorded uh, the song Josephine by Chris Cornell that same day, or the next day. I was fooling around with my recording equipment and realizing that it had been so long since I used it that I sort of forgot. The, tri, you know, the tried and true paths of how to get a decent sound and I, I prefer to record just live acoustic things and maybe I'll add a little second guitar or a harmony or I'll add some things but I just have my own quirks about recording I, I hate click tracks I just I don't know what it is, I, I have this uh, stubborn insistence that everything has got to be about the vibe and the live performance and um, I just it's just me I guess it's just an aesthetic that I go for I, I continue to feel that way um, a couple bands I've been listening to recently uh, shovels and rope is kind of a an Americana uh, duo husband and wife duo and what they tend to do is they'll put out an album and then they go and they tour that album and do all these uh, you know promotional things at live performances at radio stations and so forth and often I will hear those live performances, and they're playing the songs from the album, but the, the album's been released, and they've been playing the songs out live for a while, and they and the songs have changed. They've sort of honed them, and they often come up with different arrangement things, the ways of playing them live that are so superior to the actual recording, which was, you know, who knows when the recording was done, but it's probably, you know, well before, um, a long time before they're doing these performances. And I start to fall in love with the more evolved live performances, and then the album version seems, seems so sterile. And uh, similar with, uh, I talked last week, I think, about Better Oblivion Community Center, which is Connor Oberst and Phoebe Bridgers and some others. And it was the same thing. I, I was starting to listen then to uh, some Phoebe Bridger's solo stuff and her, an album that she recorded. And I had already heard a host of live versions of the songs, acoustic versions and stripped-down versions at uh, various radio studios and stuff. And, and then I would go back and hear the album version and think, wow, I mean, it's, it's so much better to, to hear the uh, super well-recorded uh, live version of a song when everything's clicking and uh, everyone's dialed in, to me, is the best. Even if it's not that well-recorded, as I've said in the past, I've, I've, I have recordings of, of uh, Glenn Hansard, who's an Irish uh, singer-songwriter guy that I love, and I have live recordings of him just sitting under a tree You know playing into a single microphone and but the vibe is so on that it's uh superior to you know the studio version which probably cost a ton of money to do and and i don't know that's just me um chris cornell i don't know what there was some anniversary it was the anniversary of his death or something came up recently and i saw on social media a few things that reminded me of him and I love his song, Josephine. That was off his last acoustic album. It wasn't an acoustic album only, but his album called Higher Truth. And I decided to learn the song. And, uh, again, I just laid down a, a totally live version of the tune. And, you know, it's for me, it's warts and all. You know what I mean? I don't have, uh, it's not like... Uh, I'm hitting it perfectly, because I'm just, uh, as with this podcast, I'm just trying to uh, build up my skills around this, but obviously I like it enough that I'm going to tag it on to the end of this podcast, or, you know, if it came out and I was embarrassed about it, I wouldn't share it at all, but, so I'm going to throw that out here, I believe it's a a love song he wrote to his wife, maybe before they got married and uh, it was, had been around for a long time, and he put it on his last record. I dig it. So here's uh, my version of Josephine, and I'll check in with you all, or you two, or you one, or myself, uh, next time. Bye.
0: Don't deny you It's rain, cold and gray, run down the page as I write your name, just the weight of your silence now. The a fiend